Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and this is Jobs Friday. This is the day we get the report uh, on uh, employment, and this is for the month of May 2022. And we've got uh, the usual cast of characters. Uh, we've got uh, Chris, Chris Dorides, the Deputy Chief Economist, uh, Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the Director of Real-Time Economics, and uh, Marissa, Marissa Dinatale, who uh, joins us regularly on Jobs Friday. We're missing uh, Dante. Where's Dante, guys? He's on vacation. Oh. Do you know where he went? He went far, far away because of ADP. <laughs> uh, Ouch. Yeah, that, oh man. ADP was really weak, wasn't it? There yeah. was. I think ADP, that's the, uh, we put together the uh, data based on ADP payroll records. And that came in at one, what, 128,000, something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was low because the number was, Marissa, what was the number for the month of May in employment? Uh, the non-farm payroll employment yeah. rose 390,000. 390K. That was, yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, let's just dive right in. So what do you think? Uh, Want to give us a sense of the report? Yeah. Uh, it was another very good one. Um, you know, job growth slowed from previous, what we've seen in previous months. But as I just said, rose 390,000 in May, which was well above, I think, what most people were expecting. Um, for the first time in a while, the revisions to the two prior months were actually negative combined. So um, the estimate for April um, was revised down by 30,000 jobs. So instead of a 428,000 gain, we got a 398,000 gain. And the change for April was revised up a little bit by 8,000. So combined... March and April were 22,000 lower than they were previously reported. Um, so on the payroll side of things, it seemed to be more that um, a, a mix of industries adding and subtracting. So we got a very large gain in leisure hospitality, um, where jobs were up 84,000 in May. Um, we got a very large decline in retail trade. So retail jobs fell by 61,000 in May. Um, we had an increase in construction, um, which was kind of big compared to the previous months. Like last month, we got no change in April. Um, we got a big increase in professional business services and transportation. So it was a pretty broad-based um, increase on the payroll side of things. Education on, too, right? Uh, right, Ryan? Yeah, and education mm -hmm. in state, yeah, state education payrolls rose as well. Yeah. Yeah, that government number surprised me. It was really strong. Yeah. yeah and, and that was mostly education. Correct. Am I correct? Okay. And we're still down, despite it all, we're still down about 800K from the pre-pandemic peak. That's right. That's right. So yeah. we're almost there. We're about half a percent. Oh below where we were prior to the pandemic. Okay. So before you move on, so what is underlying job growth? You know, abstracting from the vagaries of the data, what do you think it is? Monthly job growth? Well, it's I think it's weakened a bit in the past few months. We've seen we've seen some cooling off in the pace of job growth. Um, it looks like it's about 400,000 yep. 400, above mm -hmm. a, a little above 400,000. It's been about 500,000, right? Until More. the past More. several months. So 
Yeah, if you just look at moving averages, it looks to be a, a little bit above 400,000. Right. It, which is it, incredibly strong still. Yeah, yeah, but it's down. I mean, I, I think yeah. the average monthly job growth in the proceed, take the past three months, it's about 400K. Take the preceding 12 months, that was 560K. So that yeah. that's boom-like. So it's still boomy, but not nearly as boom, boom. What should I say there? Boominess as it was. It's less before. boomy. Less boomy. That's the right yeah. word of saying it. Less yeah. boomy. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, anything in the retail numbers? Is that what is that? Is that seasonals or is that, are we just going back to pre-pandemic retail brick and mortar? I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about that. Maybe. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm sure Ryan has some thoughts on that. If you look at not seasonally adjusted, it also yeah. fell. What fell? It's unusual. It normally rises in May, mm-hmm. but it fell. So that this is a really bizarre number. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we can get into it a little more. But well, it's, the, it's the first time the not seasonally adjusted retail number fell in a May since the 1960s. Well, yeah. maybe that's just the normalization in um, in spending patterns, right? We're yeah, stopping. it could just yeah. be that spending was pulled forward and things just aren't happening in their usual. So, so in the pandemic, we stayed home. Right? We stayed yeah. at home. We bought stuff, goods, you know, things, mm-hmm. and now that. We're reopened and traveling. We're buying less stuff. So you would expect those retailers like building building material and supply stores. I, I didn't look at it. I'm guessing that's, was that down? down. The, yeah. yeah. Bit, that would be yeah. consistent with that, right? But people but, are- Yeah. Half the, half the decline was in um, like the big box stores, like okay. Costco's and Target's and stuff like that. That was almost 30,000 of the 60,000 decline in retail. Right. Okay. And Target and Walmart reported on their quarterly earnings that they're mm. seeing shifts in patterns that they have more inventory on the shelves than they had expected. So it's consistent with that shift, shift in uh, spending behavior. Yeah. 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 You're going to start to see this in the retail sales numbers. <laughs> they're going to start to be really, really weak, but that only tells, you know, a third of the story. You know, real services spending is picking up. Also, you saw in today's numbers. I don't think you, I don't know if you mentioned it, Marissa, but transportation, warehousing, mm-hmm. employment increased a lot. I think, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, right. and a lot of it was trucking. Trucking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. All right. I stopped you. You were talking about one aspect of the data today. That was the non-farm payroll data, the based on the survey of businesses. We also got data based on the survey of households. So, what did that have to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, So the big headline number, the unemployment rate, stayed at 3.6% for the third month in a row. Um, And if you go out three decimal places and you look at the unrounded number, it fell a tiny bit. Um, Both the labor force participation rate and the employment population ratio ticked up by a tenth of a percentage point. Um, Let's see, what else? The number of people, this was sort of interesting. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it, but the number of people working part-time for economic reasons rose. um, And it was all people saying that their hours were cut back by their employer because there wasn't enough work to do. Not the other piece of that could be that people were looking for full-time jobs, but they could only find part-time jobs. It wasn't that it was, it was hours cut back. What about hours? I didn't look at hours per uh, weekly hours. Did they get what happened to those? To I think that? they were. Let's see. Do you know, Ryan? They were unchanged. Unchanged. Okay. 
Yeah, I think it was 34.6. Because that would be a leading indicator of weaker job growth dead ahead. You, businesses pull back on hours before they cut jobs, but right. not yeah. in this report. Okay. And average hourly earnings rose 10 cents um, over the month. They were up. Do you know what the percentage? 5.2. Yeah, year over year. That was yeah. year over year. Yeah. 0.3% month, month, month over month. month point three. But it's moderating though, don't you think? Wage growth? But, yeah, but but because of the composition of job growth this month, I wouldn't put oh, you know, okay. tons of stock in that moderation. But, but it feels like even accounting for the mix effects, this thing's going to roll over on a year-over-year basis, right? Just the base effects, because you know, we're now getting to a place where we had pretty strong wage growth a year ago. So it feels like it's right. going to start to come in. Yeah. I think the employment cost index is right around five. five yeah, it's around five. It too. is. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all pretty consistent with each yeah. other. And the employment cost index <clears throat> controls for the mix of jobs for what's going on across industries and occupations. So that's the higher quality mm-hmm. quarterly series because it takes a while to construct it. This data we're talking about, the average hour earnings is coming out of the monthly jobs numbers, but they're consistent now, roughly. Right. Consistent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Any, anything else you want to call out in the report, uh, Marissa? Uh, I don't, I, you know, I noticed participation, you mentioned participation. I don't think that picked up a little bit, but I you know did, what I, yeah. what I found interesting is labor force growth, which is, you know, participation times working age population. That's growing very strongly, well over 2% year over year. And that's about, mm-hmm. that's about as strong as it gets. I mean, typically it's well below one. So that feels like we're getting some bump from partici- higher participation, but also it feels like working age population growth is kicking back and. Maybe that's immigration. I don't know. But I thought that was... So it's not only about job growth slowing, it's also about labor supply growth mm-hmm. accelerating. Right. And both those things are you know, positive in the context of a tight labor market and uh, the high inflation. We want to get, get inflation down. Right. Okay. Ryan, uh, anything to add? You want to fill in any holes or add any color to what Marissa had to say? Well, the prime age employment to population ratio, so oh, yeah. 25 to 54, ticked uh-huh. up from 79.9% to 80%. Uh, okay. There's still room for improvement, but you know we're headed in the right direction. Kind of you know, the idea of, are we at full employment yet? Probably not because you know that could go a little bit higher. Uh, I think the, the number is overall a little bit misleading. The seasonal adjustment factor uh, was very, very favorable uh, in May, a lot less uh, or a lot more favorable than in past May. So favorable to what? Mer- to participation or oh no to no. overall job growth i'm sorry oh, so oh, oh overall job i think what growth. we're going to see is you know continued downward revisions particularly since the response rate was really really low and it continues to remain low for the first print so you know it's it's close but it's you know we know these numbers aren't 100 percent accurate on the first print so what was the response rate uh i can look it up i think it was I think it was in the I think, 60s. You know, I think the whole world has is, survey fatigue. I'm just does. telling you. I, I think people are just tired of surveys. I mean, I'm like, I get on a flight, I get off the flight. How do we do? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just like, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. You know, I think we have our own survey of our employees. You know, how are you feeling? The B, so-called BES survey. What does that stand for again? Uh, business effectiveness survey. Business effectiveness survey. And I think our survey responses are, well, last I looked, they're pretty low. I think just people are just burnt out, you know, from all mm-hmm. these surveys, which I, has all kinds of implications, doesn't it? You know, for the data. Yeah, for the accuracy. Right. Yeah. 
I wonder what that I mean, means. the good news is that, you know, with each subsequent report, the response rate is increasing. So, you know, by the third time, the third revision, you know, the response rate is over 90% for the employment data. Oh, is that right? It is over mm-hmm. 90%. Okay. Yep. So, the, but so the, the revisions take on added importance, right? Because we're getting a lot more data. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, Chris, anything to add on the job numbers? I, I know you look into the bowels of this too. Um, um, not really. I, I think the Marissa and, uh, and Ryan covered it well. Um, overall, pretty strong report. Hard to find. The retail was the one that kind of stuck out as the point of weakness, mm-hmm. but um, construction was up. That was perhaps one thing to note. We are not. We now have construction well above what it was in February of uh, 2020. So. No, just points to again some strength of that industry, at least for the short term here. So, all right, yeah, let the me. Next few, the next few months. Oh, sorry, aren't go ahead. Be, I was going to say that you know we likely aren't capturing the full impact of the recent weakness in residential investment, like housing right. stocks are down, right? Mortgage rates are up, so construction is going to start to soften. That's right. So short term, it looked yep. like, <laughs> or historically, it looked like a, some activity, but yeah. Yeah, so broad strokes. This is how I characterize the message in the jobs numbers. I'm curious, you agree, disagree, that the job market is strong. 400K per month is strong job market, but it's slowing, moderating. And that's great. We need that mm-hmm. because the economy, the job market's been too strong uh, in the sense that we're going to blow past full employment here. Unemployment's going to decline. Go, we're going to go past full employment, which is going to exacerbate wage and price pressures, exactly what we don't need. we got to get inflation down. So we need the job market to slow. In fact, by my calculation, we need to get back down to something like 150K at most per month to be consistent with labor force growth and make sure that unemployment stabilizes so that we don't blow, blow past full employment. And it feels like that's where we're headed here. And at the same time, we are getting some improvement in labor supply. Good growth in labor supply is improving. Uh, and wage growth still strong, but moderating. So when I look at this report, it feels pretty good to me. If you know, if if I were writing the numbers I would want, you know, if I were king on on the piece of paper, it's not exactly what I want, but it's pretty, pretty darn close, you know, within spitting distance of what I would, would put on a piece of paper. What do you think? Do you, anyone agree, disagree with that characterization of the report? I agree. You agree. Okay. Marissa yeah. agrees. Yeah. Uh, I, think I don't the, care what you guys say. Agree. Marissa agrees. I'm good. So yeah, the, we'll just yeah, I think the Fed right would there. agree with you too. You do, you do think the Fed would agree with me? Yeah. This is what they yeah. want. They want the, they want things to slow down. So is it slowing down enough though? Yeah. It sounds like you're saying yes. That well, I think they want to change the monetary wanna, policy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you want a sudden decelerate like a, you know, an abrupt one. I think they wanted to occur over a few months and then settle down into a sustainable pace. So, so you, Marissa likes it. Ryan, you like it. Mm-hmm. You think the, the you're the Fed whisperer, and your Fed yeah, whispering they suggests they like it. Mm-hmm. Chris, what do you think? I like it. Yeah, definitely you like it. There's nothing. The stock market and bond market were didn't quite like it. I mean, it wasn't they? Didn't, it wasn't a big sell off. And who they didn't knows? hate it. They didn't. They didn't hate it. <laughs> But bond yields, long-term bond yields, 10-year treasury yields have risen back five, six basis points. Not a lot, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But I think we're in the that awkward period where good news is bad news in the sense that, you know, it was stronger than expected. You know, it was a solid re- employment report, which means 
the Fed might not pause in September. And I think that's what you're getting a reaction in, in the bond market and the stock market about. Oh, you, you think bond investors were anticipating a pause in September? Yeah, they, they strongly hinted at a pause. And then yesterday you saw yields go up a lot. And that was because uh, Brainyard, Fed Governor Brainyard, uh, said it's going to be a hard case to make for a pause in September. So it doesn't mean 50 basis points in September, but maybe they dial back down to 25. But I think if you look at Fed funds futures, they were starting to price in uh, a pause. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I, I want to go to the statistics game very shortly, but one other thing I want to talk about before we get to the statistics game is I'm getting a little confused about the actual strength of the economy. You know, we've been talking about the job market, the jobs data says the economy is strong, right? If you create 400,000 jobs a month, when you know that typically it's 150, maybe 100, that's a strong job market. Unemployment is low, 3.6%. The employment to population ratio for working age workers, 80%. That's a strong economy. But then I look at the GDP numbers and I go, well, what the heck's going on? So GDP, that's the value of all the things that we produce, which was kind of the headline number, what economists look at to gauge, well, how's the economy doing? Well, they talk about GDP, and then they talk about jobs. They talk about G- GDP declined in the first quarter of this year. It's quarterly data. And if you look at our tracking estimate that you put together, Ryan, uh, for the second quarter, that tracking estimate is based on all the monthly data that's coming in. And based on that, we make an estimate of what we think GDP will be in the current quarter, the second quarter. It's now only 1.5%, positive 1.5. It's positive, but it's within spitting distance of negative. And it's not, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to stop in a second and ask your opinion, Ryan, of all this. It, it's po- very possible we could get a negative GDP print in Q2, which would mean Two quarters of consecutive GDP, negative GDP, which you know historically has been kind of sort of the, it's not accurate, but kind of sort of the rule of thumb for a recession, right? So, Ryan, did I characterize the data yet? What the hell? What the heck is going on? And how concerned about that? And how do you square all this? Is the economy strong or not? No, it's really strong. It's, it's, it's really fine. Strong. It's the decline in GDP in the first quarter was uh, a smaller inventory accumulation and uh, a drag from net exports. And net exports were an enormous drag because we're buying a lot of stuff and a lot of that stuff is imported. Uh, and that caused the trade deficit to, to really widen out a lot in the first quarter. Second quarter GDP, it, it came down. It was north of 2% earlier this week, but then we got vehicle sales and vehicle sales uh, really softened in uh, in May. So you know that kind of dinged GDP a little bit, but again, when you look at the the you know the domestic economy, so if you strip out you know inventories and you strip out net exports, you know growth is still pretty solid. Okay, okay. so you're saying ignore the GDP number that is correct. That is not representative of the health of the economy. Yeah, one thing I do every quarter when GDP comes out is look at you know the contribution to like the volatility in GDP and yeah. inventories and net exports are really climbing, so they're. They're, you know, kind of causing the data to be a little bit fuzzier than normal. Well, you you could take a kind of a darker perspective on that, right? On the inventory side. I mean, we had mm-hmm. Gene Soroka, who's the executive director of the LA Ports on, and he, he made the point that uh, in the surrounding LA basin, there's more warehouse space than anywhere on the planet. And those warehouses are packed to the gills with stuff. 
inventories are very, mm-hmm. very uh, heavy. Uh, we're overladen with inventory, at least based on that. And that would suggest that that would mean that producers, manufacturers are going to have to cut back at some point that, you know, they, they've done too much and we're going to cut back. And that's a negative for the economy. It's that, that's how you get, that's why you get declines in GDP, less output. You're not worried about that. Or you are no, worried. I am worried about it. Okay. I mean, if you, if you go back several podcasts, you know, probably this time last year, we were talking about, you know, risks to the economy this year. And we all talked about inventories. Chris brought up the cobweb theorem that, and you heard on the, uh, the podcast about uh, with the, head of the port of LA, he mentioned that they or, uh, businesses over ordered, they, you know, double, triple booked. So I think inventories will be a drag, but I think the, the rest of the economy will start to, to improve. I think trade can't subtract this much from GDP uh, going forward, because just like in the retail sales or the retail employment numbers, the mix of spending is shifting away from stuff to services, and that's going to help narrow the trade deficit. Yeah, he met, he said just we, inventory management has gone from just in time to just in case. So you know, right. hold excess inventory, but so but the inventory situation would suggest that the economy is actually that argues for softness. You know, you know, mm-hmm. ad, adds to the concern about the economy. Okay, all right. Um, I kind of wonder if that's going on a bit in the labor market too. Yeah, kind of employers. Exactly panicking that they're not going to be able to find people and hiring and holding on to people and then having to cut back on hours because there isn't actually the work to support that labor. I mean, there's some evidence that that's happening in some segments of the economy. Right. Yeah. And you can see it in the, it uh, feels like you can see it in the record or close to record number of unfilled job positions. We're still what over 11, I think it was 11.4 million unfilled mm-hmm. positions pretty close to record highs. That feels like businesses just, you know, if I'm worried about long run staffing my business, I'm going to keep those unfilled, you know, even if I'm not hiring, I, I'm going to keep those positions open, you know, out yeah. there and continue the process of talking to people. There's so, nearly two unfilled positions per unemployed worker. Yeah. Which I'm sure is a record high. Yeah, I mean, it's like double what it usually is. So. Okay, so going back to my question, is the economy strong or economy weak? You're saying the economy is strong, but but this inventory situation is a reason for some nervousness about what's going on. Yeah, I don't. Th- yeah, it's somewhere in between the two. It's not as weak as the GDP numbers would suggest. It's probably not as strong as the labor market would suggest. So it's somewhere in between. I mean, Chris, what do you? He's yeah. buying it back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you. Yeah, well, I'm pushing him a little bit, so he's <laughs> taking a little step back. I'm just, I'm just, I'm. He's trash you know, talking. I'm, I'm a little confused by it. That's that's why I'm asking, Chris. What do you think about all this? Are, is the economy strong? Is it weak? I mean, depends on which part of the elephant you touch. What's going on? Uh, how do you characterize it? Uh, I would, I wouldn't say strong. I'd say, I'd say the economy is in transition, which is what sounds like we've all agree on that we're moving away from uh, goods to more services. You know, the unwinding some of the pandemic effects here on top of all the supply chain and energy and everything else that's going on. So for that reason, you have all these forces going on. I think you can't characterize the economy as being particularly strong during this period. I don't know that it's collapsing or uh, the GDP is representing the true picture. I think that's overstating the case, but um, so I would say it's, it's growing. Underlying uh, growth is there, but uh, certainly it's vulnerable to right. remember these forces during the transition. 
Okay, you're on the National Bureau of Economic Research Business Cycle Dating Committee. This is the group yeah. of academic economists that decide whether you're in a recession or not. And let's say it's now uh, September, late September of this year, and you just got the number for Q2 GDP. It came in at negative 1.3%. On top of the, what was it down in Q1? Minus one, one and a half? 1.5, 1. yeah. 1.5. Recession? No recession? How, how would you characterize it? Labor market is still strong. Three and a half, three, six. Unemployment yeah, rate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the job market is- Job market yeah, is sailing yeah. along. No, yeah, no job market is doing what it's doing right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. And everything We're else cool. is kind of hunky-dory as well. Well- Industrial production. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on, again, where you touch the elephant. And the housing market okay. is a hunky-dory? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, so- It's not collapsing. Is, you you're an equity gr- investor. Is it hunky-dory? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. But you, you characterize it the way you want to characterize it. But what do you think? I would say if it's if it's we, if GDP is negative solely because of the inventories and uh, trade, but everything else is uh, looks relatively- Positive. I'm not going to call recession quite yet. Yeah, you can. A recession is a broad-based decline in economic activity, right? And if it's just persistent decline, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. Just, just saying. But I'm not even sure that's the right words. But those are my words. Marissa, well, if you're on the business cycle dating committee of the NBER, two quarters of negative GDP. What do you say? No. I'm with Chris. I think yeah. as long as other components of GDP, like what is consumption doing and investment and how's the job market doing and um, yeah, how's, how's, how are asset prices doing, particularly housing? I, I, we're all expecting some sort of correction or cooling off in the housing market, which is warranted given what we saw over the past few years. I think, yeah, I think the labor market and spending growth would count a lot more to me than just looking at inventories or yeah. trade. Yeah. Okay. Right, you I agree. agree. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think you can call a recession with job growth. I mean, right. yeah, he's creating that's, jobs. That's how, how can that be a recession? I mean, you know, right. it doesn't make any sense. Uh, with low unemployment, you know, three and a half percent or 3.6% unemployment. No, I, 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 I don't, but it, it's an interesting situation. How do you articulate that? that? We, could, we could be in. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we certainly could be in certainly because mm-hmm. we remember back for Q1, our tracking estimate was positive one and a half and we got negative one and a half because you can't, the tracking estimates are pretty, are very difficult to measure what's going on with inventory and trade because that data is lagged and not quite as good. So mm-hmm. we, we were at one and a half positive. We got negative one and a half. Same deal could happen here. You know, we mm-hmm. can get a negative quarter. So we could have two quarters of negative growth. So we've got, well, you know, well, the we're have, economists and NBR are going to have some explaining to do, you know, exactly you know, what it means. The other implication is that productivity growth is getting crushed, right? Because productivity mm-hmm. growth is output per hour work. So if you've got people being hired and more hours, but GDP is falling output, then, you know, productivity is taking it on the chin, which is not good, uh, but, you know, interesting. Um, okay. Uh, fair enough. Um, let's play the game, the statistics game. Uh, just to remind everyone, uh, this game, uh, the, uh, each of us uh, uh, put forward a statistic or two, the best, and the rest of us try to figure that out using 
uh, questioning and guesswork and deductive reasoning. And uh, the best question or the best uh, statistic is one where it's not so easy that we slam dunk everyone gets it quickly. It's not so hard that no one can get it at all. And bonus if it's related to the topic at hand, which is the labor market or is it, you know something that's been released recently over the last week, maybe a couple of weeks. I cheat a little bit every once in a while. You guys are pretty good at sticking to that role. But I'm not quite as good. That's the game. Did you just admit you cheated? I, I, I didn't say cheat. I, didn't say, I, just, I said I don't subscribe <laughs> to the rules no. as closely oh, okay. as you do. Just, yeah. Just I, I, sure. Yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, uh, shout out to some of our listeners uh, who are really into this game, uh, the whole cowbell thing. Tim Daly, our colleague, uh, he gave us some cowbells, right? Who's Who's got them now? He I did. I, I thought he did, or Chris maybe he's just taking credit for giving to us and we didn't get them. I don't know. Where are they? Where are these cowbells? Ben, you're going to have to- one right here. Oh, is, that from, is that from Tim? Yeah. Oh, oh, can you go? oh there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> Very cool. Look cool. Oh, man. I look like uh, you know the guy from, uh, what, what's that uh, uh, show? Uh, the Scary Show. I can't remember the name of it. We're, we're Scary Lurch. What's Lurch? Remember Lurch? The Adams family. Adams family. I look like we look like we're from the Adams family. <laughs> Got can you it, ring Rissa. that again? Hold it. Can you ring that again? I thought I thought it was a high quality. Okay, that's high quality. That's high quality compared to what Ryan's got. That's high quality. High quality. Yeah. Also, I I, I was uh, I have a good friend VJ. This is a call out to VJ because VJ is a uh, is a uh, avid listener of the podcast. He gave me. Of a cowbell, I, I unfortunately I don't uh, have it here. I'm yeah, I'm and it's a, it's a the highest quality cowbell. It's the sound is beautiful. So like you, it's the kind of cowbell you hit you hear in the Swiss Alps. We know, wow. yeah, that kind of cowbell. Mm. Yeah, really nice. You know what I'm talking about, Marissa? Have you heard of cowbells? Cowbells in yeah. Switzerland. It's like it's just no, but I can imagine. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like the cowbell it's, industry. I have to booming. tell you, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's Heidi like. It's Heidi like. That's what yeah. I'm envisioning. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. He also gave me a, a thumper a, a t-shirt. Thumper, you know the. Oh wow. Yeah, I thought that was really nice of him to do that. So very very nice. Good reminder. Uh, okay, but uh, <laughs> I need to get my I need to get my uh, cowbell from the the Tim Daly cowbell because that, that looked pretty cool. All right. Who wants to go first? Um, actually, I'm going to pick, uh, let's go with Chris first, Chris, what's your statistic? All right. 13.1 million. <clears throat> 13.1 million. Is it related to the job market? No. Ooh, it is not related to the job market. Yep. Oh, that's not a, vehicle sales because vehicle sales are south of 13 million. Oh. That was 12.9 million, right? Or 12.8 is vehicle sales? It's total vehicle sales. <laughs> 12.7 was uh, light uh, vehicles. Oh, <laughs> oh that, that's really tricky. Oh, so it is It is vehicle he, sales. He got it. He got it. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Wait. Okay. So light vehicle sales were 12. I thought it was 12.8, but you're saying it was 12.7 million? 12.7. Okay. And then over total vehicle sales, which includes heavy, heavier trucks, heavier yeah. trucks that came in at what? 13.1. That was weak. That was weak. Was very Both weak. were weak. Both were very that's weak. What, that's which what hit again, our going back is the economy strong or weak. Exactly. Depends on which part of the element you're, you're touching. That, that's a weak number, 13.1. It is. It is. The uh, drop in truck and SUV sales was the largest since... Um, 
March of 2020. Okay. That is this, yeah, that's people oh, hesitating. Because gas prices are through the roof. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's the like, question. Is this a supply chain issue? Yeah. You can't just build enough, mm. uh, which had been the case, or is it people now changing behavior? Well, that, I, I get back. more nervous. If you're telling me that's demand, you're saying gas prices are up oh, because you're saying it could hit the vehicle, uh, heavy vehicles, that gas mm-hmm. guzzlers more. Yep. That's, yeah. in, that's an indication that this is about demand. Right. And there was also, there was this nice write-up from uh, Michael Brisson on the, our colleague, I'll, make, I'll give him a plug. He pulled out this interesting statistic that um, in terms of expectations of purchasing a vehicle over the next year from the conference board, Mm-hmm. Uh, 56% of people plan to buy a, uh, a new vehicle within the next six months. Um, and that's less than what it was back in May of 2019. So uh, does seem like people uh, are at least indicating that they are hesitant to uh, buy. That, may, that actually makes me a little nervous. I mean, because the month before we were at almost 15 million, weren't we? In the month of uh, April. Yeah, we were, 15 million, yep, 14.9. Yeah. 14.9 and, and that dropped to 13.1. Yes. And we're saying that's not supply chain issues or production, that's demand. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Yeah. If we think that's the case. I mean, mm. it was 13 at the end of last year, it dropped as well, but that was, I chalked that up more to the supply chain issues. Yeah. Now it seems like demand is the. Okay. Right, does that make you a little more nervous about the question about how the economy is doing? That, well, what about light vehicles? What was the yeah? What was light vehicles? The what change was it? there. Yeah. The trajectory looked like. Oh, so, uh, so similar, right? Similar. Light, light vehicles yeah. also went from fourteen and a half um, last month to twelve point seven million this month. I was just wondering if people are substituting, you know, not buying an yeah. SUV, trading down or trading yeah. down the the less gas guzzling. Well, the dro- the drop in autos was smaller than the drop in uh, light trucks and SUVs, yeah, so right. that would suggest that there is that's the case. Them. Although, I, production I think is also shifted more towards light trucks and SUVs, so maybe the supply chain effects are larger there as well. So I don't know that we can read too much into that, but it it does suggest uh, certainly that people are sensitive to the price uh, to the price of gas and. Yeah, why well, yeah. pulling back one way or the other? So. Ryan, what do you what do you how do you interpret that? Does that make you any more nervous? A little bit more nervous. Well, I think consumers nervous. are just being rational. I mean, yeah, they're. Well, I guess it's just they're responding to price, price. effects. Yeah, yeah, which is what we need to happen. I guess to yeah, bring I've, in inflation. I mean, just my kids play a game when I fill up the car. They try to guess how much it's going to be, and now their guesses are over a hundred dollars. It was one hundred nineteen dollars the other day. Really? Ooh, ouch. You got to stop mm-hmm. driving that big van uh, you're driving. What are you are driving? You still, are you still going with the premium? Uh, oh, yeah, that's it. He's buying premium. Why Wawa you, premium. You have, you have to in this. Uh, I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> All right. To. Okay, very good. That was a good statistic. Oh, we didn't hear a cowbell. I mean, Ryan nailed that one. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. Right yeah. I gave it. Oh, you want did another one? Okay. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. You well done. Well done. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Marissa, you're up. Okay, 76.6%. Is that from from the employment? This is job market related. It is. Um, The payroll survey or the household survey? Household. Okay, 76.6%. I 
six. Uh, is it a, that's a percent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a growth so, rate. Or... Female labor force participation. He said female labor force participation. They're almost there. Prime uh, age. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, way, way to go, Ryan. Excellent <laughs> job. Ooh. Uh, so female labor force participation yeah. is 76 point. It's, it's prime age women. Prime age. 25 yeah. to 54, 76.6%. That rose over the month and it's risen quite a bit in the past few months. And now it's only three tenths of a percentage point away from where it was in February of 2020. And it's actually closer now to the pre-pandemic rate than men's is to their pre-pandemic rate, which we hadn't seen in a while. So I thought, I thought it was interesting because also if you look at labor market flows, you know, you can look at people moving into the various categories. There was a very large uptick in women coming from out of the labor force into unemployment. So entering the labor force and looking for jobs. And this is, this is a um, group, right, that was disproportionately hurt during the pandemic. A lot of prime age women left the labor force because somebody had to stay at home with kids who were unable to go to school or daycare. And that still is usually women that have to do that. And that this has represented, I think, a big chunk of labor supply that's been out there. And it's it's really coming back. And to the point where, you know, we're, we're going to be back to where we were pretty soon, I think. Yeah, good sign. That's a good sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, are we seeing... Yeah. Okay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Chris. Are we seeing improvement in childcare employment? Yeah, is, that. That the, mm-hmm. is that driving that's this? That's a good question. I haven't looked at um, okay. that. It stands to reason, though, right? It would stand to reason. Yeah. Well, we might maybe Ryan, you can take a look and see what happened to employment at childcare centers. I mean, that yeah, I can take a look. Take a look. Yeah, I'm just look. curious. You know what happened? There. I mean, and I know there is based just around here in, in Chester County. There's long waits to get kids into daycares because they they can't find workers. Right. But maybe this suggests so that up. some of those constraints are abating in some parts of the country. Yeah, maybe allowing w- women to go back to work. Yeah. Oh, that that's that's very interesting. So you're saying that the female prime age uh, uh, participation rate has recovered more than the male participation uh, prime age. It's closer. Rate. It's yeah. It's now closer to its pre-pandemic yeah. rate than the men's is to theirs by a okay. little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, okay, that was a good statistic, and Ryan's on a roll. That's, now I'm getting a little nervous. Uh, Oh, oh, fortunately, he's he's got to give us the statistic now. What's your statistic, mm-hmm. Ryan? Uh, 455,000. And this is down from 586,000. But this is a good sign. This is from the household survey as well? No comment. No comment. No comment. No, no, can't. no, we'll give it away. You guys will jump on this in two seconds it, if I say. Is it yes. household employment? Oh, I know what it is. I think it's the household employment growth rate put on the payroll survey uh, measure. Definition. Definition. No? no? Is it, okay. Is it marginally attached? It is not. Let me, it's labor supply related. The labor supply. Wanna, no, not want a job. Oh, is um, it the number of people who weren't working because of the pandemic that 
are that are still out because of the pandemic. They're yeah, not, I'll give it to you. That was good. Yeah. So it's the number of people I, I not in the, the labor force. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, right? it's the number, yeah. number of people, 455,000 people were not in the labor force because uh, they were prevented from yeah. uh, looking for work because of the pandemic. So this gets back to the idea that you know labor supply is really critical to future job growth. And this is declining, which is a good sign that more people are able to go out and look for work uh, uh, because the pandemic's kind of fading. So does that deserve a cowbell? Just, just saying. No one... Yeah, Chris has got the cowboy going. Okay, well, okay, all right. All right. So, okay, I got, I got. I'm, I'm very happy to to get that because uh, mm-hmm. I'm still trailing Ryan, but feel good about that one. Uh, so, but there's still 455,000 people out there that are not in the labor force because the of the pandemic that could yeah, they're prevented come from back looking. In. Yep, they're prevented from look, looking for work because of the pandemic. So that should continue to fall. Uh, and yeah. that you know, you know, our labor our employment forecast is really uh, uh, sensitive to the changes in labor force. So yeah, as long as we get more and supply, we should go ahead. What do you think that actually means? Yeah. Why that aren't they? prevented from looking yeah. for work because of the pandemic? Cause these are people not in the labor force. So that means they haven't looked for a job Before. in the past month and they wouldn't or couldn't take one. Maybe they're still so, sick. Maybe they're sick. Does it right? mean they're sick? Does it mean yeah. they're taking care of temporary people? layoff? Yeah. Now, I even looked at the, you know, the, the pulse survey from census recently. Mm-hmm. Have you guys? Have I they, I'm not even sure they've released one recently, a survey. We should take a look because that gives it more insight into why yeah. people aren't in the labor force. You know, survey for what reason. Yeah, survey fatigue. That's another good example. Yeah, uh, survey fatigue. Taking it and looking at them. Look at looking at it. Yeah, <laughs> looking at <laughs> survey survey fatigue and looking at them. It's not good for our jobs. No, no, no. We can't we can't get tired of that. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, that's very good. That was a good one. Um, okay, I'll give you mine. You ready? Yep. Five hundred and ninety eight dollars and fifty cents. Lumber. Oh, very good. Whoa, Chris, oh, good Chris. Job. Chris. Oh, Here, that, was like, that was flawless. Yeah. Well, actually, I guess that was too easy. That was, that was that's good. A good that was a good one. That was a good one. come down a lot. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's really a big deal, right? Because uh, just for context, at the worst of the, the lumber shortages back a year ago, it's hard to b- believe it was a year ago, a lumber was going for six over sixteen hundred dollars per yeah. board square foot. So we're down to six hundred. And prior to the pandemic, just before the pandemic hit, it was four hundred and fifty dollars. So we're not quite back to pre-pandemic, but we're pretty darn close, right? That's falling fast, right? <laughs> and falling really fast. And inventories are apparently very, very high. We've got a lot of inventory of lumber now. <clears throat> so it does feel like that, uh, and this is this is how it's supposed to work, right? The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates uh, and trying to slow the economy's growth rate. It works primarily through financial conditions and the most rate-sensitive sectors of the economy, housing, and housing is definitively slowing. And that's now being reflected in uh, lumber prices. Uh, so that that's kind of a good bellwether for you know kind of what's going on in the housing market. And that's not just that's not only new construction. That's Probably more, more importantly, 
you know, uh, uh, repair and remodeling and renovation, going back to those building material supply retailers that are laying off at this point. So it does feel like things are happening the way, at least uh, so far, at least the way they, they should. We're starting to see some slowing there. And it's, and it's having an impact on commodity prices, lumber prices. And that's the first kind of leading edge of a more broader moderation in inflation. It was Remember, it was the commodity prices that kind of led the way. And then we saw inflation pick up more broadly. And now we're starting to see the opposite of the curve. The exception being oil. Uh, obviously related to the Russian invasion and the European Union's decision to uh, sanction the Russian oil that caused oil prices to rise. But it feels like commodity prices are starting to come in, and that's a, a really good sign. Um, so the rise in construction workers that we saw in the employment um, assessment today, do you think that's just a temporary I, I took that as a good sign terms- too. I, you know, like more supply, you know, I mean, okay. They're they, finally able to hire people. Yeah. They're finally <laughs> able. I mean, talk about unfilled positions. They couldn't find people mm. and, and they had all these the properties, these homes in the pipeline for completion or not even started. And they couldn't because they had, um, uh, built, you know, building material supply issues, but also labor market issues. So my instinct was that that's a good thing, you know, more supply and that'll help uh, support you know, getting those homes built and, you know, taking some of the pressure off of broader inflation. But uh, okay. yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about the housing market, Chris, while we were on the topic, um, you know, because that is clearly on the front lines here with regard to the slowdown, uh, you know, again, talking about which part of the elephant you're touching, this is a part of the economy that is clearly weakening. Do you want to Give us any yeah. more color there. Well, we got a couple other indicators this week from yeah. uh, Case Shiller uh, in terms of home prices, for both from uh, Case Shiller, uh, 20 City Composite, and uh, FHFA. Uh, the Case Shiller continues to accelerate. I think it was 20.2% year over year, if I recall. Yeah. Um, so even faster uh, than the prior quarter. And then FHFA decelerated a bit. But still, I think around, right around 19% year over year. So still very, very high. I see that as still uh, as, as just lagging. We're just, you know, we're looking in the rear view mirror here. Um, other indications suggest that things are slowing down in terms of listings and activity. So I, I still expect to see some deceleration. But um, on the other hand, there's still a lot of, there's still lots of demand out there. So the, stick by the, the forecast that we have in terms of, slowing but not collapsing um, prices in the housing market. Yeah, you know, I was on a panel uh, for Fiazzi, which is like the trade, one of the, these research trade groups for, for bond investors. And they were, in, this is a panel on housing. And yep. uh, Lori Goodman on from U, uh, Urban Institute and Ed Pinto from AEI, really good housing economist. Yep. And Ed does something interesting. He looks at uh, transactions uh, from Optimal Blue. Optimal Blue is this, uh, platform that collects data on housing transactions and you based on that mortgages you can see, right oh excuse me on mortgages yeah, mortgage. and you can see um you know what price uh, what uh, the homes are transacting for uh with a little bit of lead because it reports on optimal blue and the, then the closing occurs a couple three months later so he's looking at he can tell us what based on the properties that are on optimal blue what price growth looks like in July of this year. And it's year over year, 14.7%. So 
that sounds really high and it is, but that yes. that's that's, a, that's rolling over though. That's definitely yeah. rolling over. So sequentially, it suggests maybe flat pricing, maybe even down pricing, you know, some markets. And I think we're starting to see that in some of the transaction data we're looking at too, right? Yes, yes, we are. So it's a very similar pattern to to that that yeah. FHFA. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, a couple of other topics I want to uh, address before we call it a podcast. Do you, you, do you want childcare employment? Oh yeah. What was that? Yeah. yeah. It was up a little bit more than a thousand in okay. May to nine hundred thirty-seven thousand. Pre-pandemic, it was a little bit north of a million. So okay, gap is closing, but very slowly. Slowly. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I guess well, another least... factor I'm hearing though is that there were a lot of restrictions during COVID in terms of the number of childcare providers you could have. And that those may be relaxed. So you might be getting some relief in terms of the supply of childcare spots. I don't understand. What's that? I don't, what's that? Oh, so uh, during the pen, so yeah. there's some rules in terms of how many childcare workers you need for per, or how many children can be um, oh, supervised by, no, by a, a childcare worker. Oh, I see. Those that it was really restricted during the uh, pandemic. There were lots of restrictions in terms of how many you could have and could, uh, could one childcare worker substitute for another shift? They were worried about transmission and all that. Um, but so now it looks as though some of those restrictions are being relaxed. So you might be able to see more spots opening up in childcare centers, even if the employment doesn't accelerate uh, appreciably. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Uh, here's a, something else that's been bothering me. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last few days, week weeks, I hear more CEOs, big name CEOs coming out and saying, you know, you saw Jamie Dimon, who's the, the, the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, the largest financial institution in the US, come out and talk about hurricanes dead ahead. You know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it was yeah. pretty dark. About economic the economy. hurricanes. Economic hurricanes, sorry. Yeah, yeah or economic yeah. hurricanes, meaning recession dead ahead. And then you saw Elon Musk, uh, who just, said, you know, he's very nervous about the economy and he's going to potential layoffs at Tesla and hiring freezes and that kind of thing. And I just, just, and of course, this going back to surveys, all the consumer sentiment surveys, not all of them, but you know, the, like the university of Michigan survey, very, very weak business surveys, very weak. The small business survey from the national federation of independent business, very weak. You know, people are very, very pessimistic. Um, can we, can we uh, um, cause a recession just because we lose faith that you know we we talk ourselves into recession? Um, is that is that a possibility? Um, what do you think, Marissa? What do you, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I do. I, I I do think that. I think ultimately a recession, as you said, is a crisis of confidence, and if people think we're in a recession or we're imminently headed into a recession, then people will batten down the hatches and stop spending, start saving, put off large purchases, um, become really circumspect in everything that they're doing. And I think that, you know, that stifling of, of demand is what ultimately causes a recession. Whether yeah. that's manufactured by the Fed or it's exacerbated by what the Fed's doing, if people think, you know, well, I'm not going to buy a car because car prices are up 50% compared to what they were prior to the pandemic, and I'm not going to 
take out a loan and, and take on another expense and increase my debt burden if there's a possibility that six months, a year from now, I might lose my job or someone in my household might lose my job. A job. Um, yeah, I think it could. I think it could. I mean, I think there has to be something fundamental, though, that is also happening in the economy, something real. But I think if enough people are yelling fire, uh, people are going to start running. Yeah. What do you think, Ryan? Is it in the current context, in the current environment, given everything else that's going on, do you, do you sense that we, if we could talk ourselves into this? I agree with everything Marissa said. You did? Okay. Yeah. I think we can definitely talk ourselves into a recession. And I think that's one reason why when the yield curve inverts, you hear everyone saying, oh, here comes a recession. Because oh, yeah, you've been saying that a long time. Yeah. yeah. And that you just talk yourself into a, an economic downturn. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, I, I'd agree. And in, um, in certain points in the business cycle, I think there is that vulnerability. I think it's hard to say you could talk from uh, a very rip-roaring type of economy and suddenly move the entire economy into recession. To Marissa's point, I think there has to be something else out there. But we do have plenty of fissures mm -hmm. here, potential cracks in the pavement that um, could be exacerbated by confidence and psychology here. So, so, yeah, so yeah, I, I think we're vulnerable. But. There might be another take on it. Uh, and that is, this is exactly what you'd want to see. You want CEOs saying this. I mean, at this point, right? Because you want the economy's growth rate to slow. You want less job growth. You want the, because otherwise we're going to blow past full employment and inflation is going to become more endemic. So we need business people to hire less, right? And, you know, layoffs are incredibly low. You saw the initial claims for unemployment insurance, 200K. Yeah. That is, that's, that's not consistent. I don't think with stable unemployment, right? You need something closer. Chris, your benchmark has always been 250, I believe, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're we need to see. So we need to see slowing, and that means that you would expect some CEOs to say, "Hey, I, I'm nervous. I got to be more cautious," right? So the fact that Jamie Dimon and Elon Musk and a few others are out there, you know, talking about this, maybe that's exactly what needs to happen to get to where we need to go. No? The risk is yeah. that it's hyperbole, right? That they, it's one thing to say, I'm worried about slowing <laughs> to your point, And therefore we're going to, you know, take some stuff. We're not going to be as aggressive in our investment plans, whatever, but it then to, I don't know, hurricane and some yeah. of the other language yeah. seems as though it's imminent that it's, you know, there's nothing we can do. It's, it's coming. Well, that's the other weird thing. I mean, when it, you talk like that, it's like it, recession is like next month, you know, this summer, maybe the fall, but very few economists, even the ones calling for a recession would say that, right? right. They would, they're right. saying next, next year, next year, next year, you, like, like Ryan, you're saying next year. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 at the end of the day, a recession is a loss of faith. So, you know, people run for the bunker. Uh, the other thing, I, the other point though is, no one's running for the bunker yet, right? Because this take the take the a good benchmark of running for the bunker is the saving rate, the personal saving rate, right? If you're running for the bunker, that means you stop yeah. spending. Saving goes up, yeah. right? But right now we're seeing saving rates go down. Right. So that's not consistent at all with the idea. Yeah. Consumers are, they're upset. They're nervous. They're pessimistic. 
They don't like the inflation, not, you know, understandably so, but it's not like they're acting based on that. They're acting just the opposite, right? Uh, vehicle sales, the exception, I guess, but, you know, we saw, you know, uh, personal saving rates decline. Other sector, other discretionary spending is up, right? Travel. Yeah, restaurant, exactly. Right? So there's all, all very it's strong. Not like people are not yeah. spending. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. All right. In terms of this idea of uh, uh, that we can talk ourselves into it and sentiment, is there, you know, the one measure I look at to gauge that, the one I find the best, most useful is the conference board survey of consumer confidence, because that that's more labor market oriented and that goes to the job market. And I think that's, you know, more dollars and cents and what people ultimately do in terms of their spending and saving behavior. Do you guys have a favorite statistic or is there other statistics you look at to gauge this sentiment, you know, whether we are losing faith, any, anything in particular? Just, I, you may not. I'm just asking if there's anything else you look at. Ryan, I look at the conference board. You do look at the, you, but I think you, it's important to mention that the relationship and the causal relationship between confidence and spending is very loose in the short run. So consumers can be, you know, uh, down in the dumps, but they're going to keep spending like we're, we've seen over the last few months. So it doesn't mean when confidence drops that you know, you're automatically going to see spending just tank. So because yeah. Michigan survey, that's gasoline prices, that's the stock market. So that one, I'm not surprised is, is falling very quickly. Right. Right. Okay. Chris, Marissa, any, any measures you look at? I've actually come to rely less and less on the Sentiment measures yeah, on the sentiment uh, survey. I guess we've been talking survey. Surveys, I think yeah. that's yeah, that's definitely the case. And I've, been, I've mentioned the political differences as well. That that just mm-hmm. makes me believe that those surveys aren't really capturing underlying sentiment, perhaps of, of consumer. There are a lot of other factors that are people are are using to when they answer there. So I tend to rely much more on the harder data, right? Whether it's yeah. market um, movements or spending itself, right? That ultimately is the, the true test of confidence. All right. I'll give okay. you an, an unusual one. Okay. I, I look at Google trends for okay. recession. So oh. if people are searching Google for, you know, what is a recession or recession? Yeah. Then they're really thinking about it and it's on their mind and it's likely affecting their behavior. So I, I look at a lot of Google trends search data. And what does that look like right now? It's gone up. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's not surprised. I mean, it's not to the point where you'd be like, oh, well, you know, there's a problem because, you know, now you can't read a news article or turn on the TV without, you know, someone mentioning Jamie Dimon, for example, saying recession. So there I could be some a, group think coming in. I, I've got another one for you. Uh, it's not exactly sentiment, but kind of sort of is. It's uh, how, how, how much people sell their plasma for money that, you know, you can go donate plasma or you can sell plasma and you got companies that buy the plasma. In fact, uh, don't ask me how I know all this stuff, but I, I, I from a reliable I know source. it too. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> the U.S. is the largest source of plasma in the world. About 75% of all plasma comes from the United States because in the emerging world, they're very nervous about allowing people to sell plasma for, you know, I think obvious reasons. So we are the predominant source and in in good times people don't sell their plasma as much but in difficult times they do and uh that's picked up quite a bit since the beginning of the year a lot more people selling plasma which is you know an indicator that maybe things are 
you know, starting to go off the rails here a little bit. So make me just another reason to be a little nervous. It's your Are, Greenspan men's yeah, underwear. Yeah, men's index. underwear indicator. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, I, w- I want to do um, a couple more, two more things before we call it a podcast. Mm-hmm. First is, and we, we can speed this up a little bit. First is I want each of you to give me one indicator that you're looking at that is really most upbeat and most downbeat things that, you know, because there's so many cross currents going on, you know, what is, what indicator is really saying, Hey, things look really good. And what indicator is saying, Hey, things really look bad. And then, then we're going to end by each of us uh, giving our recession odds for the next 12 months and the next 24 months. And I, each of these podcasts we do going forward, I want to do this for each of them going forward and see how that changes over time. If we're to let the listener know, you know, how are thinking bottom line, you know, how's our thinking changing around recession risks? Does that sound reasonable? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Chris, can I begin with you? Do you want to give me a, a up indicator, down indicator in your recession odds? Uh, sure. So up indicator, we've been talking about all day. It's uh, a yeah. job market, job right? market, jobs. Yeah. Okay. Jobs, right. unemployment rate, employment, okay. population ratio, whatever you okay. like. They're all yeah. saying very healthy situation here. Uh, the ne- there's plenty of negatives, um, but probably real income itself, just inflation real adjusted wages. incomes. Yeah, real, real wages, real, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's nominal wage growth of five percent less the inflation rate of eight. So real wages are negative three, something like right. that. Right. Yeah, okay. that's right. So that's certainly very negative. Uh, negative. Uh, and then my recession odds yeah. haven't, haven't changed all that much, but maybe a, a shade higher. I think it was at fifty-five. Now I'm closer to sixty percent within the next by the end of 2023 i think that's oh, 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 wait a second so next wow. 12 months is what your what's your recession oh, odds? uh next 12 months yeah oh i thought you were going through the end of 23 no well would it be months. okay for okay. you next 12 and next 24 i think that's just easier to get our minds around okay next 12 um <laughs> probably closer to 40 percent 40 percent 40 four zero four zero Ben, are you writing this down? You got to write this down. Four zero. Okay, go ahead. Ben is our producer and he's listening in. Presumably he's listening in. Yeah. He's, he's, he actually is listening. He's, he's, a, he's a very good producer. Go ahead. Yes, I'm it. listening, Mark. I'm here. There you go. I was there waiting is. for that. <laughs> There's Ben. Ben behind the curtain. Uh, uh, and I'll go 60% in 24. Okay, 40% recession odds in the next 12 months. 60% in the next 24 months. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, Mercy, you want to go next? You're sure. up, down, all around. Indicator. Um, so indicator that tells me things are really good is unemployment insurance claims. Hmm. I mean, it had been like edging a little bit higher until this past week, but I mean, they're still incredibly low and there's it's a good leading indicator, right, for a weakening job market when you start to see layoffs pick up. So there's just no sign that, as you said, it's hard to it's hard to talk about an imminent recession when you have an unemployment rate that's 3.6% moving lower and jobless claims that low. Right. Um, something that doesn't look good. I don't know. We already mentioned them. I think uh, vehicle sales, just because that is such a huge chunk of consumer spending and it can really move the needle on overall GDP growth. Um, And it's also, I think, 
something that people plan for generally, right? So it does kind of give you some insight into consumers and, and what they're thinking, let's say, several months, a year out in terms of their own large-scale spending. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm not hugely convicted on that just because there are these supply chain issues that are kind of still messing with behavior. So, I mean, I do think that that appears to be abating, but vehicle sales are pretty big in terms of consumer spending. So I'll say that. Um, okay, recession odds in the next year, I'd put at 33%. 33. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the next two years. Yeah. 50. 50%. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And uh, Ryan, what's your up and down and uh, recession odds? All right. One indicator that points up is it quits. So a lot of people are still quitting their job. And normally mm-hmm. you don't quit your job if you're you know worried about your 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 employment situation in the near term. So I think that's an encouraging sign. Uh, down, I would say, kind of similar to Chris's, you know, real disposable income. And mm-hmm. real disposable income is what matters for consumer spending. Uh, that's dropping like a stone. And that's, you know, a lot of it's inflation related, but, you know, that's that's an issue. Yeah. And your recession odds? All right. Next 12 months, I would say 45%. Next two years, uh, 80%. Oh, you've gone Whoa. up. Gone up. Oh. Two years. That's it's 24 months. A lot yeah, can go wrong long in 24 months. No, you're yeah. right. That's a long time. Yeah. It was, the, the odds would be high regardless. I mean, yeah, it, just actually, in, if in the next 12 months, I just don't see that's 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 a short horizon. So I think it's hard to see a recession by June of next year. Well, you said 40%. That's pretty high yeah, for not, the next not. 12 months. Starting yeah, in next, the next one. Starting in the next 12 oh, months. Okay. It's 40%. Yeah, well, am I right? I mean, the, and it, given the lengths of business cycles historically, the typical odds of a recession in a given year, on average, would be close to fifteen percent, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, two years out, you can kind of do the arithmetic. It's not, right. yeah, not even if it's typical, the the recession odds would be pretty high. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, okay, I I'd say on the upside, excess savings. Um, we have. A lot of excess cash, uh, two and a half trillion by our count. Even with it peaked at two point six, it came in because saving rates have come down, and people are now having to shell out more of their excess cash to meet the higher gas prices, food prices, inflation. So it's down, but two and a half trillion—that's that's a lot of cash, right? I mean, that's over ten percent of GDP. And yes, uh, most of it is uh, sitting with high-income households, but it's pretty much across the board. So low income, middle income, high income. So that makes me feel that that's that feels like a pretty significant cushion, right? For a lot of bad stuff that could happen. They could consumers keep on spending. Um, so I, I'd keep an eye on that. We should continue to watch that right And by the way, we are going to get uh, an estimate for Q1 of excess saving by income group uh, in the next next week or so. We'll get all the data we need to do that. So that'll be very telling. You know, with what's going on with excess saving among low income groups, because that, that would be the most vulnerable group here, obviously, uh, given what's going on with inflation. I don't uh, think they're, I don't think they have that buffer. I mean, they're mm-hmm. borrowing aggressively now. Personal by, our, can, by our estimate, they, well, through the fourth quarter, they did. They still had 
you know, a lot of excess saving. Yeah, uh, I think since then they've blown through. Yeah. Well, we'll, well, most I, of it, well how could we'll they? See. We went from 2.6 to 2.5. Is, I mean, even if all of that came out of low-income households, they still have excess saving. Not as much, but they still do. I guess you're saying you don't believe the data. Our data, our, the way we constructed it. Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're, uh, you're it's not consistent to, with some of those other data points. I'm you mean the, the increase in, in uh, credit card? Credit card outstanding. Credit card, personal loans. Personal loans. Yeah. yeah, but that's, I mean, can't gas, that be just transaction gas and related. gas? Yeah, it's just yeah. transactions, transaction demand. I'm traveling more, so I'm putting uh, more on my card. That's at the higher end. Sure. I believe that, but not at the lower end. I think that's, uh, yeah. they uh, and they're see, going to credit because they can't. When I saw it, if you look at our data, because this yeah. goes to the Fed's data, which we just I thought we figured out was bogus because of bad seasonals. If you look at our data based on credit files from Equifax, it's increasing, but not didn't feel like it was like an untoward amount of borrowing. Did I have that wrong? Personal loan uh, is is growing very fast at the bottom end. Well, there we have it right by credit score, so yeah. it's not perfectly aligned. But yeah, the lowest credit score bands are. Increasing their uh, their balances very quickly. Uh, let's talk about that in next podcast. Okay, I'm more That's curious about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll take a closer look at that. Uh, and on the downside, um, you know, gasoline prices. Holy cow, uh, we're headed towards five dollars a gallon now. You know, price of oil is at one seventeen per barrel. I think we're right on the edge of what's tolerable. If it goes much higher, you know, we, we get over five. Consistently over five dollars a gallon nationwide. That means in Cal, I was out in California. You know that. What, what are you paying out there, Marissa? I don't know. Well, I just noticed it jumped twenty cents just in one day yesterday. So I paid six oh eight two yeah. days ago, and now it's six thirty. Oh or, goodness! Yeah, six thirty as of yeah. yesterday. And gas place prices play such an outsized role. Going back to can we talk ourselves into a recession? Yeah, yeah. I mean that is really. St- I, in fact, I, I I don't drive much at all now, but I did fill up my gas tank the other day. When I only need half a gallon, a half a tank, but I filled it up. The woman across the way was just going on and on about you write hundred dollar to fill a gas tank. That is like that resonates with people. That really mm-hmm. makes them. I got to pay a hundred bucks to fill my gas tank. You know that. So I I think that's a that's a key indicator to watch here. You know if that keeps moving up, that do you have a really, threshold? Of what gasoline prices would be to cause a recession? Uh, it, 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 I you know I think it's got to be at least five. Probably if it's nationwide closing on six, that means that that's yeah, oil, yeah. That's that's you know that means that oil prices are probably closing on one fifty a barrel. I think we're yeah, in recession at that point. I don't yep. see any way out. So you can see why the president's going to Saudi Arabia. You know, get those guys to pump more oil because you know we need more oil. Uh, to get the, and, and the other thing is, interestingly enough, oil consumption is actually coming in. It, there's some demand destruction because of the higher price. People are traveling less. In fact, the uh, the uh, we consume about 20 million barrels here in the U.S. 20 million barrels a day of oil. That it's come down about a million barrels uh, almost uh, from where it should be, be because of the higher oil prices. And that goes back to the, to the vehicle sales that we were talking about earlier. So. Um, you know, I think that's a really critical there. Okay, so recession odds, they have not changed for me. One third probability over the next 12 months and uh, close to even odds, not quite over the next 24. Uh, so that that's about where I've been. I will end by saying, <clears throat> I am actually 
I haven't changed my recession odds, but I am more optimistic today about recession prospects than I was six, eight weeks ago. And the reason is that the Fed has been successful in nailing down inflation expectations. They're tough talk and they're half point move on interest rates. And what Lael Brainerd said yesterday about no pause in September, that has worked. Inflation expectations, at least in measured in the bond market, which I think is the most valid, important way of looking at it, have come in and they're consistent with what the Fed is saying. And that makes it much more likely uh, that the Fed will actually succeed in bringing inflation down close to uh, something that we're more comfortable with. So I I, you know, you know, we we have the green arrows up there as the risks to our ri- risks. <laughs> you know, so I think there's a lot of risk out there, but it feels a little less risky to me today than just the opposite of Ryan. Ryan, Ryan went mm-hmm. up on his recession. Okay, Ben copied those down. We're going to come back to this, if not every week, you know, every so often uh, to because uh, I think it's a good way of gauging our collective uh, thinking around how things are going here. Okay. With that, we're going to call it a podcast. Just a couple of reminders. One at Mark Sandy uh, and, uh, you know, obviously Twitter handle, uh, please follow me. And uh, Ryan, what's your Twitter handle? At real time underscore econ. Okay. There you go. Uh, Marissa, do you have a Twitter handle? I think I asked that before. No. Yeah, but I don't tweet. Oh yeah. You, you follow. You're, 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 you're following both of us uh, religiously. You are very good. And, and, Mr., and, and Dr. Dorides has uh, his LinkedIn page. I, I I know that's a happening place. Uh, at least I've, I've heard that. Uh, please uh, give us a rating. We need ratings on our podcast. That really is helpful. Any ideas for future uh, podcasts, please. You can tweet them at us, uh, tweet ideas. Uh, you can we have a to, survey. You can fill out another survey on economy.com. <laughs> go to economy.com if you're not completely fatigued out here. Oh, and I did want to mention uh, we have a number of uh, great guests coming on. Uh, we have Sheila Bear. Uh, she was the former head of the FDIC during the financial crisis. And uh, actually, just a sidebar, I, the, th- the, I think she did the single most important step during the crisis to bring an end to the crisis. So I'm not going to tell you what that is. You got to come to the podcast to listen to what that is. Um, we have uh, Julia Carnado. Julia is a great macroeconomist, formerly of the Fed, has her own firm and uh, is out there quite a bit and uh, be good to have her on. And Anna Stansbury, she's a uh, academic professor from uh, MIT. Is that right, Chris? I think she's from right. MIT. <clears throat> and uh, uh, she has a lot to say about uh, women in economics. And, you know, obviously the economics community has not been all that great about getting female participation. So I want to talk to her about what, what, what's going on there and what can be done about it. So with that, uh, we're going to call it a podcast. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>